0: Guys, you guys! I know, right? I'm here, I made it, yeah. <laughs> no, if this is your first time, my name is Brent. This is my wife Kylie, who doesn't I, usually do this. I
1: don't.
0: But we are about two weeks away from having a baby. And they say if you put yourself in stressful situations prior to <laughs> like, making it happen, then, you know, this kind of may help us get to that hey, spot.
1: The goal is labor, so.
0: The goal is labor. This could be
1: really exciting for all us. And of all
0: she promised we'd do other things to speed along later this afternoon. So, anyways, just kidding.
1: He does not run these things by-,
0: by. Oh, I just wanted to just push her a little bit. Just set her off, because she's... She's so much better than me that I have to, like, mess with her early so that it comes across as sort of equal.
1: Right. Actually, I do have a few things to set you guys straight on. If now is an okay time to do that.
0: Yeah, sure. I think that actually was
1: a good intro for setting you straight on a few things. (laughs) Um, Because I'm not up here often at all. Um, I do come up almost weekly in services without... Usually, I'm, like, over here um, trying to interrupt and say, actually, that's not... That's not all the way fully true, but now I'm up here, and I have one of these, so I get to set a few things straight for you. So if you've been a part of East Lake for a little while, um, now the truth will be spoken on a couple of things. This is your first day. You're going to be just starting off on the right foot, so it's perfect. Win for everybody. <laughs> Number one of two things. Number one is he really is a funny guy. Like His wit is great. Um, however... <laughs> Every once in a while, like, I'm not, I don't have a very quick wit. I think I'm hilarious. I have my dad's sense of humor. He doesn't always, and usually I'm, I'm really not. But every once in a while, I will say something that's quite brilliant, and I will get, like, maybe a slight smile or an, maybe an eye roll. But then that following Sunday, you know what comes up in the message? <laughs> exactly what I said. And there is no referencing the originator now of getting you get the car on
0: the way home? No. <laughs> no original reference.
1: So whenever he's funny, home, just like, they be they knowing that They love me. That babe. could have be been my, my bit. Um, the true. second thing is, this is going to be a shocker to some of you who have been here a while, but Brent actually does love our kids. He really, <laughs> <laughs> he really, really does. Despite... <laughs> frequently letting sentences like the following from last week's message escape from his mouth during his talks, and I quote, on Fridays, we have three glorious hours where not a single child is with us, and it is awesome. But in about two weeks, we're having our fourth kid, and that's all going to go to crap. (laughs) That's not the first thing that he said that might make you think, oh, he doesn't like his own kids. But he does. Yeah, yeah. So those are just the two most important things that I needed to get out there. And the, I'm sure there are many and more. And the real
0: reason I brought you up here today is because you, you're nine months pregnant, and the question is who wore it better is my question that I would have. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. I'm so excited, guys. Uh, we've been, this has been kind of on our, our, uh, our minds about having her be a part of this series for uh, several months. And then it was just like the baby kept, you know, the baby stuff kept coming, in and I, I didn't want to stress her out. And then she's like, "I'm, I'm ready. I think I'm ready to go." And I've, everything. If I've ever said anything smart in this series, it's probably been because of her in this area, because she's she's better at this than me. So I just thought now I I probably do owe it to you to bring bring you the original source of all that stuff that you're like, oh man, that's really good. So, anyways, <laughs> um, if this is part this is part four, so if you've missed any of the previous three weeks lead up to this. Um, there's a website you can go to, eastlaketricities.com slash talks, and there is audio versions uh, as well as the video versions, and you can subscribe on iTunes and, and listen to this and catch all this up, because I think it's been a really important series. It's been a series looking at the acquisition of stuff and consumption, and we live in a consumer-driven uh, society, and uh, we, we discovered this in, in a few weeks ago, that we are driven by the habits that we um, may or may not intentionally uh, be aware of in, in terms of what we do. That, those, those things, those habits, those rituals, those liturgy, you would never call them liturgies and rituals, because that sounds like a religious term, but the things that you do on a day in day basis, the fact that we go to Costco on Fridays, that's our like date. We just like as the machine, like we just end up at Costco and we're like, oh well, we're here. We should go get some milk. Um, That has a shaping thing on each and every one of us. Uh, The music that we listen to, the shows that we watch, the people that we hang out with, where we spend our money, how we spend our money, how we make our money. All of those things are rituals and liturgies in our life that shape desires within us that. Um, that sometimes we would say um, when, when Paul describes the list that he gives out in Galatians chapter five, he gives a virtues and vice list, we would not choose some of the things that he would say, well, if you just rely on self, this is what you end up as, but instead live by the spirit, invited to live by the spirit. Um, and, and we would say, well, I would definitely choose those if we had the list, but we, we fail to sometimes evaluate the situational things that we put ourselves in that then shape us to direct us towards those habits. And that's been the point of this series is to say, uh, nobody chooses to be a consumer. Nobody chooses to be driven. Um, to, nobody chooses to fall into addictions. Nobody chooses to, uh, to to be hamstrung by like these vices in their life. Um, we would all choose differently, and yet we don't really reflect on what have we done to set ourselves up in this way. And if we are unreflectively immersed in the liturgies of consumerism, we will over time learn that the end goal of human life is acquisition and consumption. The idea that what's going to bring us fulfillment in life is something more than what we currently have we don't we're not satisfied with what we have we like it right like we we like the car that we drove here and we we tend to like our home at least if we've only lived there for like two years or less we, th- we still like it at that point um, but we are driven we find ourselves driven towards wanting the new thing even though the old thing is somewhat working fine though the battery's kind of wearing out on the iphone so therefore now the eight's coming out and the ten whatever all that stuff and so we answered the question, what is the chief end of man, uh, to acquire stuff with the illusion that I can enjoy it forever. That's been kind of the go-to thought for us. And what we've said is that you will not be, or the thing that is an operating thing for us, I don't, I don't think you'll be liberated um, from deformation, which is like, I, I think you were created for something different, and then we kind of deform ourselves into this consumptive driven lifestyle. You won't be liberated from deformation by new information, but by a recalibration of your habits, a recalibration of what am I setting myself up for? Am I taking, because listen, information alone is like mentally challenging and it's great. And you can show up at an event like this, or you can go to a lecture uh, in the Tri-Cities, or you can be, go to dinner with somebody who's really interesting and they have a unique, like they're super disciplined in their lifestyle. And you walk away and you're like, dude, did you see what he ordered? He ordered salmon with no butter on it. Like, who eats that? But yet, he, gosh, he looked good in that shirt, and you know, <laughs> or whatever. And so therefore, I I now am going to be inspired, or you watch some sort of Biggest Loser TV show, and you're like, I'm inspired now. I've taken information. I'm going to begin to try and develop some different habits in my life. But a lot of times, there's a disconnect, because we can we can look at something and mentally go, that's what I want. And then if it doesn't translate into actual changes of habits, then the information alone doesn't do anything. A prime example, um, a a couple of years ago, Michael Pollan, he's an author, wrote a book um, called, I think it was called Food, I, I, and he's written tons about food. I think this one was just entitled Food. And it was like a major bestseller. And it had to do with uh, uh, knowing where your food comes from, may it, that it's ethically sourced, that it's sustainable, that it's, you should eat more green. You know, I mean, it's kind of the typical, you're eating the wrong stuff, you should probably eat the right <laughs> stuff, right? And so every Friday, we, almost every Friday, we go to Costco. And one of our first sections that we go to is, for me... We make our way beeline to like the book section. You go through the electronics, and you try and uh, you're, you're on your way to the samples, but you're not quite there yet. And so we do one loop around the books, and then we head into the samples area. And I'm always reading stuff, and so I remember picking up that book one because it's got a great cover on it, and I'm, I'm always drawn to good covers. And I'm I'm reading through the stuff, and she is uh, a much better eater than me. You probably tell. Uh, and so, but I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, oh, this is really good. And, and and I can't remember if we had our kids with us that day or not, but I had extra time to be able to read that. So we must not have, um, <laughs> though I do love them, though I do love them. <laughs> and uh, so I'm reading it. And I get like two chapters into this book about, about being wise about your food choices. And I'm sitting there going, this is good, not good enough to buy the book, but I should probably, you know, uh, get this at the library or, or on Amazon for cheaper or something like that. Right. And so, uh, reading that. And then I found myself no, not 15 minutes later in the food court chomping down a $1.50 Polish dog.
1: And Mountain Dew. And
0: washing it down with Mountain <laughs> Dew afterwards going, that book was really good, you know? I should probably think about where my... Listen, information alone cannot, will not change you. It requires an adjustment, a readjustment of uh, an awareness of what i'm what i 'm being shaped by where i 'm currently at, and then a decision to a decision not just mental ascent, but a decision to do something about it and change it so and what we 've said in this series really is when we discover what we really value, we are less prone to set up for what we merely want. Listen, we all want things, um, but sometimes what we want gets in the way of what we really want and we, we fail in our society and in our system really uh, the, one of the, one of the rituals of our of living in the 21st century with the access that Americans have, um, with you know the ability of Amazon and eBay, and you can get everything quickly and cheaply, at, you know Walmart and all that stuff, is that we fail a lot of times to to really think on what is it that I really ultimately want in life. I can tell you what I want because the new version just came out. I can tell you what I want because um, it's bright and shiny, it's new, and I can get it for 12 easy payments. But we fail to really evaluate, and there's not a lot of environments in our society where it asks the question, yeah, but what do you, what do you really want? Let's think longer term than just what's it going to take for me to have a really good fall or, or you know, in, the, in this next year, what can I afford? But what is it you ultimately want? What are some of the bigger pieces of this life? And I think the church is one of the best or should be one of the best places for people to be able to enter. And whether or not you believe in, in the Jesus thing or not, you can suspend your judgment on that. I really think it's valuable. I really think it's valuable for, for us, every every single person in this room, in this situation, to go, what, am, do, what, what do I ultimately value? That's the goal of the series. If you walk away from the series and forget everything else but go, it forced me to think about things that I ultimately value, then, then this is a win. Then this is a huge win for us. Because listen, let, let me just get real specific for a moment, all right? And I'll, I'll speak, because my wife's here, I can do this, because she'll speak for the women. I'm going to speak for the guys real quick, all right? So gentlemen, focus. What is this something that you ultimately want? Because I, I've left it open, left it abstract a lot. Let me, give you, let me give you a concrete thing that I think you ultimately want this, whether you realize it or not. But you want, or you really will want at some point, the respect of your adult children. Whether or not you have kids right now or not, it doesn't matter. So if you're single and don't have kids, you're like, oh, I check out and that happens every once in a while at least. Okay, listen, I, that's not, this, is for, this is an all skate for every guy here, okay? <laughs> uh, you will want the respect of your adult children someday. And the decisions that you make right now are going to affect whether or not they're three and they just don't understand, they will understand someday. You will want their respect. You will want them to like you when they're over 18 and they no longer have to call you or live with you. You will want them to hang out with you when they don't have to. Do You understand? And no thing and no fling is ever worth losing the respect of your someday future kids? No thing and no flame will ever be worth losing the respect of someday your adult children. So, with that, I mean that's an ultimate thing, and, and, and that that's kind of uh, like okay, you went really deep, really fast, Brad. I was hoping for a little more <laughs> laughter before we got into that, but listen. When you think about that and when that becomes a value for you, when that begins to rotate through your mind as you go through your life and as you face like consequential decisions in your life, that is an ultimate thing that shapes the decisions that you make today. That, that, that's what you really want. I know right now what you want is that or her or this, but what do you ultimately want? Want And if you really have a firm grasp on that, I think that influences and challenges what you think that you want now.
1: Yeah, that's so good. And to speak to the ladies in the room, I think that we're living in a season right now where um, we're told that what we want is to be good at everything. Um, you need to be really good at being single, but then really good at um, being married Be really good at being independent, but not being um, too independent. Uh, Being a really good mom, being a really good student, being really driven in your career, but also take really, really great care of your family and do everything super well with your kids um, and still have time to watch other people's kids or whatever. I mean, it just like so much. You need to be good at everything. And I think that that's sometimes what we think that we want is to appear to be doing so. But I think what we ultimately want and what we um, what we really, really want is to actually be sane and to have energy left at the end of our lives. And um, and I think that we think that we have to do it all and that that's what we want to try and do, but the truth is, is that you can't and you're going to end up feeling like you failed because there's always going to be that something that we're not good at and it's going to drive you crazy. Um, we can't. We can't be the ones to take care of everybody and not need anyone. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that, and it's not, it's not going to work like that, and you're going to end up insane and zapped of your energy. And so um, I think that what we ultimately want and what we really want is to, to figure out what we value, what we're good at, what our gifts are, contribute that, those few things, as well as we can, and then ask for and accept help with the other things and we're gonna um, end up a lot closer to what we ultimately want and what we really want than we will if we um, shoot for what we just want.
0: Yeah. So how do you keep these ultimate things at the forefront of your mind? How do you keep them central and front as opposed to on the periphery? Um, how, how, do you, how do you build this kind of system in so that those things are important, that those two things, that, that those things do show up and become uh, something that is is like a visual thing for you rather than on the periphery of our mind so i think Paul gives some excellent advice for this um, he we, we've uh, talked about Romans before even as part of this series, but Paul writes a letter to a church, in a Roman church he's probably never visited, a church that would eventually face a major persecution, um, and it's kind of leaning, moving towards that a little bit. At first it was kind of like this home church thing that kind of blossomed up, and the Romans didn't really care because you know they had lots of different religions, and it was kind of the central hub of tolerance on all levels, and then eventually it becomes something where it becomes such a challenge to their current religious system that they begin to turn on them in terms of persecution, but Paul writes this incredibly um, insightful, detailed, uh, really difficult to read, honestly, uh, letter. And in in chapter 12, he kind of makes this transition. A lot of of people believe that the book kind of moves and shifts in a different direction at this point. Chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 2, we're going to look at this verse um, together. Here's what it says. Therefore, um, anytime that you know that there's a therefore, uh, that means that there's, there's something that came before that you should probably know about. <laughs> that they're, gonna, they're going to say something, therefore, and there's a conclusion that comes from something. It's kind of like showing up in, in a message series that's four weeks in, and, and I just kind of move forward on some things that maybe are, are already drawn out because we've talked about them for three weeks already and I don't want to talk about them again. Um, so if you've ever walked into a conversation in a room and somebody goes, well, therefore, it's a sign that you've missed something. Here's what you've missed in terms of chapters one through 11 when it comes to Ro- uh, Paul's letter to the Roman church. He, he describes a lot about God's grace to humanity as a whole. He talks about the brokenness of sin in chapters 1, in chapter 7, in chapter 8, he talks about how it's not just mankind, but really all of creation. that's kind of groaning, waiting for its ultimate fulfillment, its ultimate redemption, and it ends in, in chapter 8 and chapter 9 with this glorious, God loves us anyway in spite of ourselves, and, and it has a plan for this whole thing, and this whole thing comes together, and, and we can trust in a God who provides, a God who loves in spite of us, that God is for us. Since God is for us, essentially is what he's saying, therefore... So that's the, that's the context, that's the background, really brief, you should probably read it for yourself, but since God is for you, since he's in control of this, since all of this is taking place in spite of you, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's, what's that word there, mercy, I'm going to ask you to do something, I'm going to ask you to respond to the grace that God has given to you, and who, because, that, because God is for you, and I want you to do it out of his mercy. Or in other words, another way of saying it would be his generosity or because of his grace. Here's what you should do in light of that. Now, maybe you attended a church a long time ago that was, you should do something, but it wasn't out of God's mercy. It was out of his wrath. (laughs) Because if you don't, there's hell to pay, literally. And you're like, that's not a figure of speech for them. That was like a literal thing for them. And, and, and yet Paul here is saying, listen, I want you to do something, but I don't want you to be motivated out of fear or out of guilt or out of manipulation. Listen, that, that never ends well. Nothing really results well out of being motivated by guilt. I want you to do it out of his mercy. In fact, earlier in this, uh, in this letter, he talks about how, Father, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, not your anger, not your bitterness, not your Uh, vitriol towards us. And then he goes on, here's what you should do, in light of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, we are somewhat familiar with um, sacrifice. We know it. In fact, we mocked it. If you watched our little two-minute video that we made a couple years ago about showing up on a Sunday and what you can expect on a Sunday, and John you know, with his way of saying things, goes, there's very few animal sacrifices here, right? <laughs> um, you, you know, like, that he wasn't pulling that out of left field. You know that a church in the Tri-Cities in 2017 probably isn't doing that, but you recognize, you took enough ancient historical, you know, civilizations classes to know that that was a major part of a lot of ancient religions. They didn't have a lot of knowledge of, of, um, you know, signs and how things worked. And so when rain came, it felt like a blessing. When it didn't, it felt like the gods were angry with us. And so we need to show them that we love them through this, through the sacrifices. So it wasn't unique even to the Jewish religion. This was a like worldwide. In fact, I would say the more extreme versions of it are in the pagan cults, as opposed to the, the Hebrew Jewish cults when it comes to religious systems. And yet you read in the old Testament, if you've ever, you know, God, ah, I'm going to get a Bible and, and, um, start being you know more religious because I need something from God. Uh, that's fine. Uh, you, you started reading through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and Leviticus is full of all of these kind of rules about the the sacrificial systems, and it defines even five different systems that are involved for when you commit this crime. Here's what you should do. When you commit this crime or sin, here's what you should do. Uh, and so these people, these people lived with a a more visceral, visual language. When it, I'm talking about the Romans, right? The Romans lived understanding, being surrounded by a pagan culture that regularly engaged in animal death sacrifice. This is not typical for us. If, that, if your neighbors are doing that, you're probably calling the cops on them at this point, right? <laughs> we, we, we know this, but only from a very distanced, that was what people did back then standpoint. Well, who he's writing this to are people who would see this smell this, this was visceral visual language for them. And yet he, he makes a comment in there about it being a living sacrifice. They're familiar with sacrifices, but every sacrifice they've ever known has been this dead thing, this dead goat, this dead animal, this dead sheep, something, this dead dove, anything like that. And yet he changes it on them. He almost throws like this curveball in there. I'm, I'm telling you, in view of God's mercy, you begin to offer yourself as a living sacrifice holy, and pleasing to God. So what does it mean? What does a living sacrifice look like? What does, what does it mean? Because sacrifice has, I'm giving something up, and yet I'm the words that you're using here expect me to kind of engage in living this. And there's suffering involved in this, but it's different. It's almost like a living with suffering, or it's a, it's a choice of of, um, of, of giving something up. And I think a lot of times in churches, um, because pastors have something to gain out of this, this has been a um, living sacrifice. So please give of your time, give of your money, give of your resources in in terms of you know furthering the advancement of, of a specific church, or the local church, or the mission, which is, you know, Fine, I think you should. But, anyways, that, that's, I'm selfish again. But <laughs> I think that the meaning is is greater, and we we've had conversations about that. We we were talking dialoguing about this uh, in preparation for this thing.
1: Yeah, and looking at it, I mean, I think a lot of times, whether you grew up in church or not, we have experienced this view of God wanting more time, more energy, more resources, whatever. And I think you're right. A lot of times, leaders of churches kind of use that to their advantage, and this can be a passage that is very easily translated that way. But in talking about it um, and looking at it deeper, we we think, what if living sacrifice actually means just simply recognizing that we aren't deserving or entitled to more and then living accordingly? Um, We are responding to, to God's grace. All that we get, the good things that happen to us, the fact that we're living is just by the grace of God, and we don't deserve more than that. What um, if that's what true living fat sacrifice looks like, um, it's really easy to, although it's different from the treat yourself mentality of our um, society right now, it's actually pretty easy to live this way when things are going well. Um, it kind of makes me think of, what's his name, financial peace. Dave Ramsey, if you've ever listened to his radio show, people are like, how are you, doing?" he's like, better than I deserve. But he's also doing all all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not it's easy. It's ability. great. I mean, not that it's not going against what the world is telling us. I think he's doing a great job. But I think that all of us have maybe experienced that. We're like, oh, it's okay to say I don't deserve this because I have it right now. Um, I think that it is... The tricky part of this whole living sacrifice things come comes when the, the suffering is taking place, when things aren't going well and you're still choosing to recognize that I, I don't deserve better. Um, just over a year ago, Brent and I, last September, Brent and I walked through something pretty, I mean, probably the most difficult thing that we've walked through through, and there are very few people that we've talked to about it. In fact, we have a super small community of friends and family that we, at that time, they helped usher us through. We were kind of, it was just like this terrible, we felt like we were walking in obedience, really, um, and we're just blindsided, like, in a way that was, it hurts a lot, and, um, the community that came around us at that time, just the very few people that knew, they brought us meals and cared for us deeply and said words that they thought, I, I'm sure at the time, were so, so little, um, but they were huge to us. And they just said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And, um, and I know that there are people in here right now. I'm so sorry. I'm a super pregnant lady, so my voice is going to get really high, and I'm probably going to have some tears come out, but... I know that there are some of you that are hurting, and I'm sorry. I just want to say that to you because those words were so big for us at that time. And um, what's awesome, and I didn't even realize this until last night when we were looking at this, but from that small group that surrounded us at that time, I never heard, oh, you guys deserve better than this. You deserve more than this. Um which I'm so thankful for because that would have been really confusing because it's not the honest truth. And it also shows that that community surrounding us at that time like, had a better grasp of what we're talking about today than I even recognized. Um, but that is what the world will tell you sometimes in crappy spots is that, that you deserve better than this. and Sometimes you're left in a spot where that doesn't quite feel right with you because you're like, first of all, I I don't have better than this, this is what I'm left with right now. And also, um, maybe realizing, like, trying to tie all these things together and reading this and knowing, well, I don't, if I'm not entitled to more, then um, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be, but why am I feeling all of this pain? And it can just get really jumbled and confusing. And here's the deal. God doesn't place, like, terrible situations and circumstances in our path to teach us something. We learned last week that he's a good father and for um, those of you who are parents in the room, I don't think that you're, like, throwing uh, loose gravel on the asphalt of your um, driveway to make your kids slow down on their bike, you know? <laughs> you're just going to tell them gently. Um, <laughs> and I, I really think that um, that he just mourns with us when we experience brokenness. It's just a product of a world that isn't the way that he Intended it to be. It's not functioning the way he created it to, and um, and he he stands over us when we're hurting, and he wants he wants more for us because he's a good father, and um, as good we're we're mediocre parents, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, um, when our kids hurt, we hurt. I mean, there's nothing funny. Run thinks I'm a terrible person because. I think it's so funny when people fall down. When my <laughs> kids fall down, there's nothing, like, nothing will get me laughing harder than, like, YouTube videos of people tripping. I think it's awesome. And but it's, it changes when you can tell that there's, they're not going to, like, get up and be okay. And if you've ever experienced that with your own kids, like, there's this instant ache. Like, your arms just hurt and want to be around them and bringing comfort right away as fast as you can. And, um, And so sometimes they'll let you, sometimes they won't. Our little Joby, she's super sweet, super sweet girl. And over the course of probably the last year, she'll do things, whether it's like standing up under our dining room table really hard and like bashing your head or just straight up falling down. And she'll stand up and try to like either run it off or she'll say with a shaky wobbly voice, she'll say, that was just my trick. That was my, that was my trick. (laughs) And, um, And it's so hard because as a parent, I'm standing there and I'm like, oh man, just let me, just let me hug on you. Let me love you. But it's difficult for her and for us sometimes to accept that comfort because you have to acknowledge that something really painful just happened. You have to come face to face with that and like let someone else see that. And sometimes it's easier to just plow through and experience the pain, and expect it to get better that way, and, um, and so we can, I think we can respond to suffering in one of two ways with God. Um, The first way is that we can lean directly into him, into the comfort that he wants for us, because although we don't deserve better, he is full of grace and mercy, like we learned, and he wants better for us, even though we don't deserve it, and even though he didn't put those cruddy things in our path. He is so good at redeeming things. So even though he didn't design, like he didn't set up this plan of the terrible thing to happen to you, he can leave us more restored and living more deeply and sweetly than we ever would have before all of this cruddy stuff, even though he had nothing to do with the crummy things that happened. Um, And so we can lean right into that and we can acknowledge the fact that we don't deserve better, but respond to the grace that God gives and wanting more for us, and wanting to comfort and restore us. Um, That's the first direction we can go. We can also, um, he gives us the freedom to choose the other way, which is we can choose to believe what the world tells us is that we deserve better, or it's time to get better. Um, And we can lean away from his comfort and longing to bring us closer to himself and to make life more rich for us. Um, We can silently walk in our suffering, perhaps counting on distraction or our own strength to get us through. But if we rob ourselves of that grace, if we rob ourselves of that comfort, if we choose, maybe not even knowing it, sometimes taking this stance doesn't even, you don't even feel like you're making a choice. You're just trying to be strong and make it through. And um, that's just what the world's told us to do. And so we do it, but it doesn't discount the fact that there's still a father, a good father over us with aching arms. He just wants to wrap his arms around us and and bring us comfort. And so uh, that's where he'll, I think, begin to reveal his ultimate plan for you. What you ultimately want can be found there, not in walking through it by yourself. Um, And so that's what we concluded that, a living sacrifice might actually look like is in suffering is knowing that um, we don't deserve better, but there is someone who wants more for us.
0: I think they just want me to stop and to go. <laughs> and I think I just lost my job, you guys. It's like job security here. Off your bodies is living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then he concludes it with this. Once we have that visual picture, I mean this is this is one example of it. You, there's probably, I don't know, 10, 15 different ways that you could take what does it mean to be a, a living sacrifice. But, you know, enduring that suffering, knowing that there's a good father, and, and knowing that we're not believing the lie of more, you deserve better, um, that, that is so often kind of ingrained in the culture around us, that's a big deal. How do you respond to that? You, this is your true and proper worship. That word true and proper, the English word is two words that really was one Greek word. Uh, The Greek word there is logikos, and it comes from the, or or, or, that's where we get our word logic. So in in, in a sense, this is a logical response to a God who loves you in this way. Pulling, again, from Romans chapter 8 and all the grace that has been showed towards us as creation and that we get to cry out to him as Father this is how you would logically respond to a God who loves you in this way. I'm not asking you to do things you know, more than you should or give God better than he deserves. This is just a natural response in this way. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. He continues on. This is his next line in this passage here. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. What do you mean patterns, Paul? Again, we, we talked about systems. This is, this is the, the pattern, the, the way that the, the world shapes you in this way. Don't conform to those patterns. The kingdom of this world is designed to distract you from what really matters. The kingdom of this world is fueled by upgrades and experiences. We live our life pushed towards upgrades and experience, which are fine as long as it doesn't distract you from what's most important. But be transformed. Be transformed, the Greek word there is metamorpho, which is, I mean, basically we know that from, remember that from a biology class in high school. Metamorphosis, this transfer of, of identity to going from a caterpillar uh, to a butterfly, this, this, this visual change, but be transformed that over time something happens to you by the renewing of your mind. Which we said at the beginning, wait, I thought you said it wasn't information that changes. It's not. Renewing of our mind, that that word renewing has this active daily change, this active awareness. It doesn't mean you do it one time. The I-N-G, it's an active principle. It basically means you do this. This is the daily struggle, man. The daily struggle, making sure my mind is right in this area. God, help me to see the way things that you see them. When I see them as you see them, then I will do them as you want me to do them, and as I do them, it begins to then shape who I am, and I find myself desiring the things that you want me to desire. And if you've ever been in a church, part of a church where the ethics have been conveyed to you, here's what you're supposed to do, and you ask questions of why, and they're like, "Don't ask any questions." Then, then this is this is different. This is Paul going. Listen, I want you to respond in such a way that the old is what I want, but the new is what I really and ultimately want, that my desires have been changed as a result of this. And then he concludes it with this. Then you will be able, here's the conclusion, here's the result, here's the consequences of this decision, and consequences not in a negative way, in a positive way. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's just like this massive culmination. Listen, this is how you know you want to live, and what's really cool is this is how God wants you to live too. What you want for yourself ultimately and what God wants for you are probably closer than you realize. Then you will be able to determine and, uh, and test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's good because it's ultimately what you want. It's perfect because it feels like it's grown up, it's mature, and it's, it's God's will. It's his desire for us. And what I ultimately want for me isn't all that far off from what God wants for me. The answer is not more, right? The answer is to offer myself as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing. This is my true, my perfect and true, good and true act of worship. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this verse, this thought, this this advice from Paul to a church a long time ago would sink into our hearts today. Our culture is a lot different than the Roman culture, but in a sense, kind of what it, what the outside is doing to us in our heart-shaping, our life-shaping, heart our desire-shaping life desire is, is eerily similar, uh, and, and so we we take this and we look at this and we pray that you would help us on a daily basis to engage in the renewing of our minds, to continually be asking the question, yeah, but what do I ultimately want? What is this helping me get what I ultimately want? Because I think that when we actually discover what it is that we ultimately want, um, ironically, it's what you've always wanted for us the entire time, all along. And so give us the uh, wisdom to know what to do with this, the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.